0: Well, I've entitled the message, Why Study Titus? And as you think about that, that, that is probably a pretty good question. If you've ever read it, it's, it's kind of one of those books you're saying, is, is this really for me? Have you ever uh, opened up someone else's mail? I still get all kinds of mail from my kids. I mean, I, that they're supposed to go to my kids, you know, and I open all of them. Look at all. No, no. <laughs> you know, sometimes you get other people's mail and sometimes you read it and you wonder, well, what in the world is this all about? And you realize it really isn't for you. Well, if you look at Titus, and if you get any kind of glimpse of what it's all about, you're thinking, well, really, this is not for me. This is written to a pastor. And if that's not your vocation, you're saying, well, that's only for the, the, the few percentage of people who do it vocationally, and I think I told you last week again, you know, I get paid for being good, you're all good for nothing, right? Is that, you know, that, that's my job, to, to do the things that are in this book, and help and try to exhort other people to do the things that are in this book. And that's what this particular letter is all about. So why would, we, why would we all study it and read it carefully? Because you need to look at it in a different way. Because it's almost like, you know, if you had a family member that was overseas and serving our country with uh, the military. And they, they only have so much time, and so they send a letter. and They send that letter to mom and dad. And, and maybe at the, at the end it says, well, uh, circulate this to all my brothers and sisters. And maybe my friends, so they can have an idea what's going on when I'm across the seas. And really that's the point here is, as he writes to Titus, he's really going to circulate this letter for other people to read it. So the things that he is being taught are really things he's going to teach. And so they get it not only from him, but firsthand from the Apostle Paul. There, there are many times we, we ask ourselves the question, why am I doing what I'm doing? I had that asked me a couple of times this morning. It, but as you think about why do we do what we do, and sometimes we go through it and we're, we're, we're not really sure, are we really, should we really be doing what we're doing? Uh, I've got to throw a little bit into Israel in this front, front, front part of the message. Is, is, is uh, A few weeks ago I went to Israel, I, I really... I didn't want to go. I mean, not that I, I love going to Israel, but it's a busy time of the season. I was, uh, was just fighting a cold before I left. Uh, and there was a lot of things. There were 60 people going. I told you, I only knew one person that was going, and that person, we weren't going to room together. So it was all going to be with strangers. And I've been there before. What am I going to learn? So then I get there, and then everyone knows who they're rooming with, except for me, because what happens is they put everybody's picture and their bio um, online, except for the person I was going to be rooming with. And so I'm thinking, okay, who is this this mystery person? So actually, it was about a day and a half before we finally got to where we were supposed to be, and, and I discovered that they had paired me with the youngest pastor on the trip. And I hate to, trust me, I hate to say this, I was the oldest pastor on the trip. <laughs> okay, so uh, he was 26, or is 26, and I'm 66. So there was a gap here. Now, for those of you wondering and going, well, uh, are there older people that go? There were, there were other people that were much older than me, but they weren't pastors. And so I said, well, this will be interesting and so then as we got to know one another, we found out there was a lot of things we did not have in common. Uh, for instance, um, you know, we started talking, and I'm kind of a sportsaholic, I like to talk sports. And, hey, do you follow any sports? No. <laughs> okay, scratch that one off. And then I thought, well, uh, yeah, what's kind of his lifestyle. And I, I said, um, are you somewhat of a fanatic of, like, cleanliness? And he goes, yes. I mean, um, what's the little spray bottle? What's in the spray bottles? Uh sanitizers, I don't even own one of those, okay? Well, throughout the trip, he was spraying everything, his whole body, okay? So, he, he, you know, he's kind of a self-proclaimed germaphobe, and I drink water out of a hose, you know? <laughs> Trust me, he only drank water out of bottled waters, and, and the water's really good in, in, in Israel. It's, it's, it's one of their main things to brag about in terms of how they've transformed that particularly uh, country. And so it was interesting. We went on and on and on. Uh, he's the kind of guy that sleeps easily and likes to sleep. I'm a guy who doesn't sleep. You know? And so, uh, you know, it was just an interesting uh, pairing uh, of, of two guys. But what I want to tell you at the end, you know, you think, well, then why did you go? You got, you got paired with someone that has, you have nothing in common with. But we did. And what we had in common is that we loved Jesus and loved Talking about Scripture. Talking about water. I got some hose water right here, so I got to. And uh, sometimes when I'm a little tired. I get a little bit more emotional, so you have to bear with that. All right, so, uh, and, and so I, I got, after I got back, it was interesting. I got, a, I got a, a text from him, and he sent me some pictures of that we were doing things together. And he said, I really miss our, our late night theological debates, you know. And so I kept him up just debating everything, you know, I could with him in terms of Scripture. But what I found out is that he, he really did enjoy getting into Scripture and, and talking about it. And, and so it was a great opportunity. And what I'm saying is sometimes when you say I'm going to do something, you're, you're not always sure that the plans you have for the reason you're going to go are going to be like perfectly done. So now I understand the sovereignty of God. This is why I came and he paired me. That would have been the last person I would have thought that God would have wanted me to pair with. In fact, interesting, we found out later that actually we weren't supposed to be roomies, that they had messed up, and, but it was so great developing that friendship and, and realizing that when, when you do life, it's all about doing life with people who have something in common with you, and what's most important in common is the Lord Jesus, and then enjoying what you can learn and see and experience together. And that's really, in many ways, what church should be all about is we gather together, not only on Sunday, but throughout the week, we experience God together. We, we discuss scripture. We, we share opportunities we have to share the message of Christ with others that we've had the opportunity with. We, we look at ways that we can serve God in specific ways, and, and, and we do life together. And, and so as we think about that is, as Paul writes this book, we, we read this book, we study this book, because we want to know what God's plan is for us. We've entitled the, the series A Template for the Church. Uh, now, one of the things, and I never asked him if he was good at construction. I am horrible at construction, okay? And so I look at a template and say, okay, somebody knows how to figure that out, you know, and put those things together. And, and I have to call somebody over to help me. Uh, but as we look at the, at the Word of God, He gives us a template. It gives us a blueprint. It gives us a pattern how the church ought to be. And, and sometimes we should be surprised, if we think about it, of what's not in here. What's not in here is any mention of the size of the churches. We don't know how big those churches were. In fact, if we were to make good guesses, most of the churches were small. And so he, he was speaking to people. He said, I really want you to be an extended family. Now, there were some that were larger, but many of them were in the uh, 100 to 200 range. And, and then as, he, as, he, as, he, as we look at what the church, how the church is described in the In the Scripture, you don't have a whole lot of detail about their programs, right? You know, what were they doing with their children? What were they doing with their youth? You know, what were they doing with their seniors or adults? What kind of a music program? Did they like traditional music or did they like contemporary music? And they said, we'll take any music we can get, right? But but as we think about it, some of the things that we get so caught up in that we don't have any information from God's Word about how we ought to long for things that are important to us when other things are more important to God. And, and so as we begin this study, and we're going to look at only the first four verses this morning and then start going a little bit faster uh, as we continue on this book, is we're going to see an introduction to this book, and often introductions are just skipped over because they're similar in every book. But I, I think what it does here, it, it causes us, and if you want to get my main point today, My main point is, the reason we want to study this book, uh, not only it's in the Bible, that's a good enough reason right there, right? Uh, Secondly, it has insight for us as to not only how we ought to live, but why we ought to live that way. And who are we listening to when we look at this book? And so often, sometimes, we all have our favorite authors, our favorite speakers, uh, whether it be inside the church or outside the church. And really what we have here is we read what's in this, this section. It ought to excite us as, oh, this is who's speaking. This is whom God has brought to, to tell us what is the template or the blueprint for the church. And, and why is he saying it? And, and what's, the, what's the details that ought to excite us as we get into the meat of it? So let's look at it this morning. Why study Titus? And the whole reason is because God has something special for us, and are we listening to his instructions? Why should we read this pr- blueprint? Maybe... Since it was, and we're going to look at four things, it was written by, it was written for, it was written because, and it was written to. So a pretty simple approach to this, but we're going to look at why we ought to study this because of it was written by, written for, written because, and written to. Well, who was it written by? Look at the first verse. Paul, a bondservant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, and we'll stop right there. And we're going we're gonna to linger at some phrases here just to, to get the obvious that sometimes we miss if we don't slow down. I have a tendency to speak fast, you know, when I, when I preach, and, and sometimes I preach so fast I, I miss what I'm, I'm saying, okay? Is that sometimes we need to slow down. Okay, what did we just read? Well, one, obviously, the author's Paul. And letters in the, the Bible are written letters. Well, does anybody write letters anymore? Okay, so Christmas cards. We had to deal with Christmas cards. But usually you write or sign off at the beginning of the letter or the end of the letter? At the end. Well, they signed off at the beginning of the letter. They, want, they don't want to have any people guessing who's writing this letter. So it's Paul. And who is Paul? A bondservant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. So what does that tell you? It tells you, uh, uh, who is this Paul? Uh, to use a different word than bondservant, he, he's a slave of God. Now, that's an interesting thing you might put on your bio or billboard. Well, why should I listen to you? Because I'm a professor or I have this kind of education or uh, I have these crowds coming to hear me. He says, uh, these things I write to you, the reason you ought to listen to me is because, first of all, uh, I'm a slave of God. The Greek word there for is doulos. And it's interesting as you look at the slave of God and really a bond sermon or a slave has the idea is this person is fully aware who he's serving. Isn't that true? I, I march to the orders of not my own drum that I'm beating, but I'm marching to the orders of God Almighty. I'm not just a servant of Rome or a servant of the church in uh, Jerusalem. I, I'm a servant of Yahweh. I'm a servant of God. And it's interesting as you look at that, um, that's throughout the Old Testament is, is the main reason People ought to listen to whom God appoints for people to hear and to follow. If you have a Bible, turn to Numbers chapter 12. In Romans 15, 3, it says, or Revelation 15, 3, it says that Moses was a servant or a slave of God. Um, You remember when you were growing up, everybody asked you, uh, What are you going to be when you grow up? Did anybody ever have that question asked you? Come on, raise your hand like you're still listening to me. I'll start over if you're not listening. Okay. Okay, you so what are you going to be when you grow up in? And, and uh, if you're like me, it was, I don't know. I had no idea what it was going to be when I grew up. The last thing I thought I was going to be was a pastor. But, but as, you, uh, as you think about it, I probably, probably none of us ever said, I aspire to be a slave, right? But if you're going to be a slave, a pretty good person to be a slave to would be a slave of God. In Numbers chapter 12, we had some people that that didn't think Moses should be getting all the credit he was, he was given. Numbers, Numbers chapter 12, and actually his family, family got involved in this. Then Miriam and Aaron spoke against Moses because of the Cushite woman whom he had married, for he had married a Cushite woman. Anybody have people in your life didn't like the person you married? Okay, well, this happened back then too. And they said, has the Lord indeed spoken only through Moses? Has he not spoken through us as well? What makes you think you're better than us? And the Lord heard it. Now the man Moses was very humble, more than any man who was on the face of the earth. And suddenly the Lord said to Moses and Aaron and to Miriam, You three come out. This is now God speaking. You three come out. Uh, Then the Lord came down in a pillar of clouds and stood at the doorway of the tent, and he called Aaron and Miriam. Then they said, Both came forward, and he said, Hear now my words. If there is a prophet among you, I, the Lord, shall make myself known to him in a vision. I shall speak with him in a dream, not so with my servant Moses. He is faithful in all my household. With him I speak mouth to mouth, even openly and not in dark sayings, and he beholds the form of the Lord. Why then were you not afraid to speak against my servant against Moses? I don't know about you, that sounds like God was trying to say, Look it, I'm the one who picks who's gonna speak for me. And the people who speak for me are the ones who've who have willfully and wholeheartedly committed themselves to serve me and serve me only. They have become the slave of the Most High. And so as we think about the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, just like Moses, he said he was the most humble man. Isn't that amazing? I don't know about you, if I'd been a leader of all those millions of people, I'd get a pretty big head. But Moses realized it wasn't he who was doing it, it was God. And so because of that, he said, you need to listen to everything he has to say. And so as we think of a blueprint, a template, a pattern for the church, it's all about saying we are to listen carefully to this book because it's God who is inspired. God breathed these men to record, to write out what he has for us, and they are authoritative. And it really comes from being a slave of God. And I think in your outline we put, what does it mean to be a slave of God? It's to mean to be a trusted voice for God. Really what pastors are, you know, we're simply messenger boys. That's all we are. We don't create the message. We just get it out. Does that make sense? And Paul knew who he was. I'm a slave of God. But he also called himself an apostle. An apostle is one sent. It's a sent one of Jesus Christ. It literally just means sent one. And that really has the idea that he was a trusted life lived for God. One of the ways we really know whether a person really is a servant of God or a slave of God is check their life out. As they look at the Apostle Paul, he said, You know, everything I do means nothing to me except fulfilling that which God has called me to do and to be. And so they could look at his life, and he practiced what he preached. In our home, Alice practices what I preach, and I try, okay? But, you know, he practiced what he preached. And because of that, he spoke authoritatively. So why should we study Titus? Because who wrote it? The Apostle Paul. Secondly, who was it written for? Look at some phrases right after that. Paul, bonds servant of God and apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of those chosen of God and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. And then he goes on and says, in the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised long ago, and we'll look at that in a moment. So there he, he says, okay, th- th- this is for a certain group of people, and who are those people? For, for people who have faith and want to have the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. Now, that's kind of fancy language, but somebody says, when you go to church or when you interact with people spiritually, uh, among God's people, and as you try to to fall down the path that Jesus lays, what, what you're trying to do is increase your ability to trust Him. That's what faith is. The more we know Him, the more we trust Him. And hopefully you have people in your life that way. You know, you first meet them and you have a certain amount. Maybe you get some kind of oppression. You have a little bit of sense of, I think I could trust that person. But it's, it's based on only superficial involvement. But the more you know a person, you can decide pretty quickly, is this a trustworthy person? Can I, can I rest on what that person has to say and follow their pattern? And he said, this is being written for those chosen of God have the faith and the knowledge of the truth, which is according to godliness. Your Knowledge here is an interesting word. It's, it's a word, epigenosis, which doesn't mean simply head knowledge. Uh, I, you know, I, I get fascinated with a lot of details in, in this book. But that's not what God is impressed with. He's impressed with when you learn things out of this book, does it change how you live? The Bible wasn't given for our information, but for our transformation. So this is the journey we're all in, on, is that God writes to us so that our faith might grow, our trust might grow, and the, and the knowledge we have in God might cause us to live in a way that pleases him. Now, there's a phrase here that uh, I haven't said a whole lot about, but it says, for those chosen of God. When you think about things that happen in your life, they never happen by accident. Now, sometimes when we really realize that when they don't happen by accident, we know there's a God who oversees anything that does happen. He can prevent things from happening, and he can make things happen. Would we agree with that? If God is all-powerful, he has the ability to make things happen and cause things that might happen not to happen. And and when he looks at your life, if you've embraced Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, he he uses the language you are chosen of God because he wants you to know that he personally and purposefully wanted you to be in his family. And and so we, we should not run from phrases like that. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 1 that we are chosen before the foundations of the world. That as you look at each other, uh, if this is a person following Jesus, it's not by accident. God desired for them to be a part of God's eternal family. Now, it does beg the question, well, what about the people who aren't chosen? And how would we know who is chosen? And, and, and that's the challenge in Scripture. The Bible says that, that all those who come to faith are chosen, but it also said, whosoever will may come. And so you ask, well, how do I know if I'm chosen or not? Well, let me put it as simply as possible. If you truly believe in Jesus Christ, you're chosen. And if you choose not to believe in Jesus Christ, you're not chosen. So as you look at it, God invites all to realize their need and the supplier of that need, which is Jesus, and embrace him. And when we come to faith in him, we know that he's desired for us to be part of His eternal family. So why should, we, uh, why should we study this book? Because of who it's written by and who it's written for, the faith and knowledge of those chosen by God. And then secondly in this text, the hope of eternal life for those promised by God. And that's that, that phrase in verse 2, in the hope of eternal life which God who cannot lie promised long ages ago. You know, we just left a season of joy and cheer uh, in December, Christmas time. People see all the lights, they hear all the sounds, and, and people go to all, a lot of parties, and they... They have opportunity possibly with family and friends, but the reality is there are others that they go through this period of time, and they're, they're not experiencing joy. They're, they're, they're filled with heartache and pain, because they look at their life and say, as I look into my future, as I predict my future, I, I don't see a lot of good things happening. It doesn't look like things are ever going to change. Well, since I couldn't talk sports with my roommate you know, Austin, you know, if you, if you notice that the Rams are in the Super Bowl, anybody know that? Uh, they hadn't even they hadn't got close to the playoffs for 12 years. I'm sure many of them thought, we're never going to get there. I mean, they're so bad. You have to be bad to get the number one draft in the NFL draft. You know, they got a quarterback. And he was horrible his first year. And sometimes as people look at their own setting, you know, forget the sports, but look at your own life, and you're thinking, look, at I, my track record doesn't look very promising. It could be health, it could be finances. It could be getting out of a place you're living you don't want to live in. <laughs> and you're wondering, is that ever going to happen? And, and, and we don't have the details in it that, that God says, okay, yeah, you're going to get out of it or you're, you're going to be healed or whatever it might be. But we do know that in the future, and compared to eternity, our future, our, our, our time here is so minimal that we have so much to look forward to. And so as we look at the life that is to come in the midst of whatever you're going through now, this is written so that you might have hope. And hope is not wishful thinking in Scripture. Hope is that conviction that you know that God has something planned for you so much better, even if it's good now, than what you're experiencing now. And the reason is because He loves you. And he has a plan for your life. And he invites you to embrace that plan fully. So Paul, as he writes this letter to Titus, and he knows other people are going to be reading in. Why should should they read it? Because who's writing it? It's Paul. He has the credentials to speak authoritatively for God. And then who's it written for? It's written for people whose faith and knowledge of God wants to increase. and, And people who want to go through life with hope, not being wrapped in despair. But then as we look on, we, we, we have another thing, and it's, it's written because. Why did Paul write this? Trust me, Paul did a lot of stuff. Okay? He was a busy man. All right? He had all kinds of churches he, he planted and pastored and trained leaders in. But this particular island, the island of Crete, got a specific letter written from, from Paul. And why was it? Because it, it? We need to realize that Paul was always on assignment. And that's what he says here in verse 3. But at the proper time, manifested even in his word, in the proclamation with which I was entrusted, according to the commandment of God, our Savior. Now, it's kind of wordy language, but he simply said, you know, it, I want you to understand, God entrusted me with something to do. And now did he didn't trust me. Quite frankly, he commanded me to do it. And, and the reason this word is being proclaimed is the word kerygma in the original language, which means someone who is under the service of a higher official. And the higher official tells uh, the lower official what message needs to be sent and then sends that message to wherever it's supposed to be. And he says, The kerygma here is not a human kerygma, it's a godly one. And God is, has put me on assignment. And so we got to read this book because Paul is on assignment to write it. Have you ever thought of an embarrassing thing that when we get to, when we get to heaven, I don't think we're going to embarrass, but kind of projecting. Have you ever thought, you know, I'm going to get up there, and are there are going to be some books in the, in, the, in the Bible I don't know a whole lot about. And, and God flies up there saying, I wrote this for you. And, and you, you haven't spent any time in it. And, and there are parts of the Bible that are confusing. Let's, let's be honest. We're going through the book of Isaiah in our readings, and that's hard stuff. But God wants us that if, if he put people on assignment to write it, there's probably something in there for us. Would you agree? Paul said in, in we won't turn to it, but in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 15 through 17, I, I just want you to know I, I'm under obligation. You know, I, woe to me if I don't preach the gospel to where God wants me to preach it. And so it's, uh, it, it's pretty assuring to know that when someone does something, it, it's something that was important, that this was not just a frivolous thing they were doing. This was a call of God for, for Paul to do it. And, and we want to get in on his assignment. But let me just throw a devotional thought off. You know, when, when we become a follower of Jesus Christ, he, he puts us all on assignment. Would you agree? He, he has something for all of us to do. Some of that is with the people in your relational world. We call it oikos here, the people that, that you know that, that don't know, as far as you know, the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, I want you to be that missionary to them. It begins simply with praying for them, doing good for them, showing them love, showing them the love of Christ, being a person that, that tries to walk the walk so that people can see not how good you are, but how good God is. Does that make sense? It's, it's pretty simple and straightforward, but often we forget that assignment. In your Bible studies this week in the Life Groups, you'll, you'll look at some passages that talk about that. We're all on assignment. Paul had a special one, but all of us have an assignment to impact the people, influence the people around us, and then use our gifts and talents and abilities to serve them with children, youth, adults, with people in need, and, and that's an assignment. And Paul, you could tell, he was, he was compelled to do what he was compelled to do. Now, that, a few minutes left. I, I want to talk about the... <laughs> the man this book is titled for, Titus, all right? Because in verse uh, 4, this is the last verse we're going to look at this morning in the text. Uh, and, and by the way, as you look at the, the scope of the book, you know, what is it? What is a church that follows the temple of God? Uh, and, and we'll probably say it in a number of different ways. It's, it's a church that has spiritual leadership. People who are leading not because of maybe some things that impress others, but they're leaving because they're leaving the life that God wants them to live, and, and they are examples for others to follow. And so he goes over a list of qualifications for spiritual leadership. And then he goes on throughout the book, and he says, not only do I want spiritual leadership, but you ought to have sound doctrine. And, and the word doctrine really means teaching in the, the Didaskalos, but it really has the idea there of what is the truth in here, and are we understanding it clearly? Are we following out what, what God has plainly said? And then we understand what he has said. And then what does it mean? And then how does it apply? And so sound doctrine is critical. And then the other part is there ought to be an impact. There ought to be sanctified living. That's a religious word, but it ought to make a difference. If we, if we follow spiritual leadership and we, we understand the truth of God's word, then we ought to, our lives ought to be changed. Does that make sense? That's the template of the church. Um, but anyway, the, the person he wrote this to is, is in verse 4, To Titus, my true child... Any common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. To Titus, my true child. Um, I told you about Austin. Austin uh, had his first child, a little baby girl. And say, well, I've got two granddaughters and one grandson, so I beat you. No, anyway, so is that, you know, you think about the children, the people in your life that matter to you. And as, as Paul talked about, Titus, this, this was a person he cherished. Titus in, is in that section of the Bible and where the T's are wild. Sometimes it's hard to find the books in the Bible. You've know, you got 1 and 2 Thessalonians, First and 2 Timothy, and then Titus. And Timothy and Titus are in that section, which are somewhat unique. They're called pastoral epistles, okay? which simply means letters to pastors saying, Hey, this is how you got to lead, and, and you got to get better at it. Okay, but tell other people too so they understand what the challenge is. And as you compare Timothy to Titus, you know, and we don't know, I mean, some of this we're projecting, but Timothy was Jewish and Titus was a Gentile. Timothy, Paul wrote longer letters, and maybe he had more, more things he needed to hear or read about. But we know by temperament that Timothy is, sometimes was is a little timid, kind of takes after his name. And, and so he needed encouragement, exhortation, and go after and go for it. God's not giving you a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. You know, activate the gifts God has given you. But with Titus, we don't get any of that. With Titus, as far as you know, he was just gung-ho for God, and, and he was a blessing to Paul. Sometimes we think of people like Paul, maybe you know some people that you respect spiritually, and you're thinking they're the ones that don't need to be encouraged, but Titus is the one who encouraged Paul. And so as we think about that, he's writing to someone that that is such a source of strength for him that as he writes this letter, he said, look, I'm giving you a tough assignment. We're going to see this in the book. Titus, I mean, the island of Crete was not the the easiest place to live, but, but, he, but he sent a man that he could trust. If you have your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians. We'll just read a couple of these, and then we'll close. But in 2 Corinthians, we have uh, Paul making mention of, of Titus in, num- in numerous ways, and, I, and I'm just going to read a few of them just to, to highlight what kind of a man this one who is being written to, and we're going to try to learn from and, and, and let's be honest, sometimes we learn by people stating propositions or things we ought to, commandments or things we ought to restrict our behavior with. And sometimes we learn best by example, right? We see someone else do it and we go, well, I could maybe do that. Well, look at, look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 12 and 13. He says, Now when I came to Troyes for the gospel of Christ and when a door was opened for me in the Lord, I had no rest for my spirit. Why? Not finding Titus, my brother, but taking leave of him. Now, I just want to make a simple observation here. When you look at Titus, how do you describe him? That's a person, when I look at my spirit, that, that part of me that wrestles with all kinds of stuff, right? When, when I don't have Titus or someone like Titus around me, my spirit is not refreshed. It's, it's, uh, it's tired. And sometimes we get tired in our walk with God. And what will happen if we have somebody come alongside us, that's why we do life groups, to have people around you that can encourage you. And that's what a Titus was. So look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 7, verses 6 and 7. Paul writes, But God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort with which he was comforted in you as he reported to us your longing, your mourning, your zeal for me that I rejoiced even more. Now, again, I just want to make some observation here. Who was Titus? He was a, ty- he was a man who not only gave rest to Paul's spirit, but he comforted Paul. Directly and indirectly. Sometimes by just watching or hearing what he was doing with others and sometimes what he was doing with him. And I don't know how, how much we want to put in this. But, he said, but God, who comforts the depressed, comforted us by the coming of Titus. Is it possible that, that Paul was depressed at this point? Almost seems to imply that, doesn't it? And, and what brought him out of his depression? It was a person that came alongside that lifted him up. I guess the question for all of us, do you have somebody in your life that comes alongside you and lifts you up when, when you're down? And don't, don't feel like you're somehow... Less than all these other spiritual giants that you look at. Look at, everyone needs to have people who, who lift them up. Shake your head like you're still listening to me, all right? Right? I mean, that's what Paul said. 2 Corinthians 7, verse 13. I've got to watch our time. Uh, you know, we have another statement about, actually, 13 and 14. He said, for this reason we have been comforted. And he goes on this, and besides our comfort, we rejoiced even more for the joy of Titus. Because his spirit has been refreshed by you, by you all. You have people in your life that are a joy to you? I mean, you just, when they're there, they, I mean, they just lift your spirit. I mean, it just makes life better when they're there. They're just, I don't care, let's be honest They're just fun people to be around, right? They're, they're just people that, that they're, uh, they're not about themselves, about others, and they, just, they lift, lift, just lift people up. You know, Paul said that we ought to rejoice in the Lord how often? Always. And again, I say rejoice in the question, well, how do I do that? I know I'm supposed to be a rejoicing person. Well, have other joyful people around you, and you'll be able to have joy. Is that true? The other passage just talk about that he was faithful with finances, and then, and then in 2 Corinthians 8, 22 and 24, he called him his brother and partner in the faith. So what's the point this morning? In the midst of the, the detail, those four verses, which was just an introduction, is that why should we say Titus? Because it should change our lives, corporately and individually. And it's simply a challenge for us. Are, are we willing to follow God's instructions from someone who has something to say, the Apostle Paul? And there's a reason he's saying it, because our, our faith needs to be refreshed and our hope needs to be increased. He's on assignment. And we, we want to we live like a Titus. Be a refresher of spirits to others. We want to be a person who brings joy to others and comfort. And how do we do that? By just following the instructions God has in his book and doing it by the power of the Spirit. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Our Father, if we gather together, that's, that's the challenge for us as we look at the template or the blueprint or the pattern for the church. It's, it's about the kind of people we are and, and desire to be and be following your plan. Father, there might be someone here this morning that the reality is, as we talk about this plan, they've never, they've never begun the journey. And today is a day in which they need to admit their need and simply turn from those things that are wrong in their life. Repent. They need to believe that Jesus Christ is God and He died on the cross for our sins and rose again. And, and then commit. Commit to follow Jesus as their Lord, God, and Savior. And Father, when we do that, then you enter into our life, we become new people. And then Father, if we've already made that commitment, our desire is just to follow you more closely, more fervently and faithfully. And we do it for your sake and your glory. We praise in Christ's name, amen. Amen.